0: I want to compliment you this morning because you are very kind people, and I will get to that in just a second. There is a um, a thing called the lectionary, and what the lectionary is, is an ordering of passages uh, from Scripture that uh, we can read and, and, and preach and study that gives us kind of the big picture of what's going on in the Bible from Old Testament through the New Testament, beginning to end with psalm readings and readings from Proverbs. And so this year we read all of our gospel passages from Matthew. And I, and I say that to say to you that I don't... Well, I wasn't looking to preach this passage today. And when Robert mentioned that you are to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and God's that which is God's, You all are so kind because nobody got up and walked out on what could be a stewardship sermon and nobody did what I did a few weeks ago when I was at my desk and just thought, I don't want to do this again. But we are going to do it again. We will do it again because it is important. It does matter. And ultimately, Giving to God that which is God's is, I will dig out the coin from my pocket, Robert, is more than just giving coin where it is supposed to go. It is about giving all of who we are to God. We look at the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is confronted by these Pharisees, and he's confronted with an either-or question from them. A great either-or question akin to the one that Robert came up with this morning. It's a trap for him that they hope to get him either in trouble with the Roman authorities and or get him in trouble with the people who are following him. And ultimately, Jesus finds another way, a, a third way through this passage that calls us to something greater than the Pharisees or the Sadducees could have really foreseen for themselves. So let's attend to that as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying... Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and you show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me on the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, The emperors. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This wasn't the last time they would try to entrap him. If you keep reading stories and turning pages, you will see that, that's what they're doing in this part of Matthew. They try to entrap Jesus through a story about God and money. And it is a story that is more about more than God and money, or just God in money. But it's important to acknowledge this is a passage about money because just as.
1: The Pharisees try to entrap Jesus with a story about money,
0: so too we must be aware that issues around money entrap us. We need to name this. We need to acknowledge this. And we need to not be afraid to talk about money, especially in church. Now, when it comes to the stories that are most important, that we think come up the most often, given my good old Texas, sort of revivalist history growing up, it would be hard to find stories about money. Oh yes, the preacher in the church would talk about money during budgeting season, and as it happens, it is budget season for us. But really, when we read through Scripture... It was more about ethics and morality. It was more about salvation being the key, and salvation being the key to send us to heaven rather than to hell. The problem is the Bible-loving people that I grew up with ignored the fact that Jesus, in one way of counting, talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Eleven of the 39 parables Jesus shared were about finances. That's more than a quarter. What do we do with this when we hear this? And then we hear Jesus saying, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. I sit with it. And I know all too well, from even my personal experience, that money has a way of entrapping us. And the way we handle our money says a whole lot about our faith, our interest, our desires, and the things that we love. This is powerful. This matters. This thinking about how we handle our money is... Pence, too, right? I realize, though, if Jesus talks about money one every four parables, then there might be a connection between how we think about our money and how we experience God. Now, when we think about Caesar in this passage, we think about paying taxes because that's what the story is about. Uh, But I don't know how often or how much recently you looked at your checkbook, but um, these days I'm starting to wonder, given my bills, if Caesar is not uh, a Visa card or a car payment or an Amazon account, a student loan, or maybe even Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Yeah, that one's not funny. It hurts, doesn't it? We laugh to keep from crying, but in a conversation, in a, in a, in an economy like ours, Caesar's not the government or just the government. And there's a rabbit to chase there for a different sermon at a different time, because today let's just hold taxes in one hand and what's God's in the other. For most of us in this room before deductions of some kind, the federal government will ask for between twenty five and thirty five percent of our income you know there 's accountants that are doing the math in their head right now, and you know they 're making exceptions and stuff and If you make a lot less money you know around ten thousand dollars a year or less, you only owe ten percent of your income to the government and probably almost owe nothing if you make a lot more than, say, $416,000 this year, you will owe more than 35%, closer to 39.5%. But for most of us middle folks, somewhere between 25 and 35 cents on every dollar is what we owe to the government at some point on our tax form. And the thing for me is, even though Caesar demands it, When it comes to paying taxes, there is something to being faithful that means we do it. Oh yes, Jesus tells us to do it here. There's a long tradition within the church of of recognizing that being faithful to the society in which we live is just as important as being faithful to God. And so I feel like being a good citizen of our country means I pay my taxes. I just try not to pay more than I have to, but I do my part. You do too, I suspect. I could do other things with the money I give to the government, I assure you. But I like contributing to society, and I like thinking about how when we all collectively contribute the way we're supposed to, important, powerful, significant things happen. And God says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And we all would say, we're blessed, so we pay our taxes. But with a tax rate exceeding 25 cents on every dollar, Caesar is a whole lot more demanding than God is. We've named what is Caesar's, but what is God's? We haven't talked um, about the ways God has blessed us, Right? We flippantly claim that everything belongs to God, and we read Psalm 24.1. I'll read in the King James Version. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they dwell therein. It all belongs to God. So we shouldn't fear giving back in whatever way we're called but practically speaking for just about all of the history that we know of with God's people a 10% tithe back to the church and back to the temple is what it's what we've always done it's what the scriptures say across time now as someone who doesn't like asking for money i think about this a lot because I don't like asking for money, and I hate the critique that the preacher is always the one who's asking for money. It's one of the things about being a preacher I would definitely change. I can think about different ways that we're called to tangibly express our commitment to God, and I can think of different ways in which we can give back to God, and I have tried and tried and tried, but ultimately I can't find a way around giving a tithe back to God as something I'm called to as a Christian. If you want to chase a rabbit about giving your time in conjunction with your financial tithe, that's fine. But until all of us are giving almost a day a week back to God in service and in mission, few of us are very close in tithing our time to God, we're better off writing a check. Let's just stick to the dollars and cents. The way the church has for some 2,000 years. Give 10% of what God has given you this year, and when you look back on your life, you will have tithed across time. There are times when Jesus says different things about this. You can go find those. But when Jesus speaks about giving outside the tradition of tithing, he actually asks for more than a tithe. So you can put your head back on the pulpit. If you want to give something less than a tithe to God's church, or to God through the church, let me say it that way, Scripture is not the place to get off the hook. But when you read about the obligation that God asks you, and not getting around a tithe compared to 25% given back to Caesar in relation to the return on investment that you get a tithe is a good deal tithe do it see how it changes and shapes and i believe blesses you economically speaking This is what it means to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. But ultimately, our commitment to God goes deeper than our cash, doesn't it? A quote I came across recently from John Steinbeck, anything that just costs money is cheap. You know that that's true, don't you? Anything that just costs money is cheap, and this is important because God wants more than your money. I mentioned at the top that how we handle our money is an indication of how we handle things beyond money, and that should convict us. But when we really get down to it, for most of us, it's not the tithe that matters. It's the deeper connection to God that happens when we tithe that is valuable and that is life-changing. Yes, there's no doubt that our finance committee would tell you that our financial statements would look much different if everybody actually tithe. But let me assure you that, pastorally speaking, I assume all of you tithe. The raw numbers may not back that up, but I assume you tithe because I don't want you to feel like I treat you differently because you don't. I treat everybody the same I assume everybody gives a tithe so that everybody is making the same commitment to God through the church. But the thing about God's power in the world is that it's not limited by finances. It's limited by what we're willing to give of ourselves. And the thing that would excite me most for a church is the biggest difference in our lives that would happen and the biggest difference that would happen through this church, in this community, if it were full of a, a, a church full of people who were correctly appropriating things to God and to Caesar. If a tithe was a, a commitment to God through the church, our spiritual lives would then follow. And that would change our relationships. That would change our way of seeing church. And our way of blessing the world. And that would be exciting. That would be life changing. And when we are giving something tangible to someone else that actually belongs to God. Well it's going to be more difficult to see God at work in different parts of our lives. You see, since how we handle our tangible things is likely an indication of how we handle our spiritual lives, then we look at our checkbook and we discern our commitments. We look at our resources and we see how we're allocating them. And we look at what we've been given by God. And we discern if we've given it to some other Caesar somewhere. And yeah, this is convicting. Yeah, this is hard. But to whom much is given, much is expected. And have you ever given a gift back to God that you didn't receive some return for even more greatly in some way or another, look, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here, but I am saying when we commit ourselves to God, God meets us and abundantly blesses us more than we ever could have asked or imagined. Right? thinking about the games that we play. Robert mentioned Candyland. I thought about the board game Monopoly. It teaches us how to be good landlords, doesn't it?
1: It teaches us that in order to win the game, we need to acquire as many spaces
0: on the board as we can and collect all the resources from the game that we possibly can. And I love to play Monopoly on a game board. It's fun. It's fun to risk and go out in flames. It's fun to be the one who wins because you made a good decision. But in Monopoly, the goal is to run everyone else out of business. Another game, it's not a board game, you play the game Hot Potato, right? The music plays, you pass the hot potato around, you pass the hot potato around. The one who is holding the hot potato at the wrong time is eliminated. The goal of Hot Potato is to not hold on to things. In Monopoly, the goal is to get everything you can. In Hot Potato, the goal is to get rid of everything you can. And maybe in life, we realize that all of life is neither all Hot Potato or all Monopoly. And all of faith is not either one either, but somewhere in the middle. Life is rarely such an all-or-nothing proposition. Except that we're called to give back to God that which is God. And in each of our lives, we would benefit spiritually if we gave to God that which God asks for. And the more I sit with tithing and giving and the balance between what belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar, the more I'm convinced that the biggest reason for giving to God that which belongs to God is not so that we can keep the lights on or pay the minister's, Or even create new ministries. But the biggest reason that God calls us to tithe. Is because what we get back. From giving to God that which belongs to him. To give to God that which is God's. And you will be shaped and formed. And connected and blessed by his kingdom. And if you don't. You will be a subject of Caesar's promise. So today I pray we have the wisdom to correctly allocate the things that we have that are within our control. And that we might allocate things in ways that shape us as God's children to bless this world he's created and given us. And in that way we render our lives and our world to God. And I cannot think of a better thing for a gathering of Christians to do with themselves with their lives, and with their checkbooks. Let us pray to God for the courage to do that. Will you join me? Gracious and loving God, we do give you thanks for this day. And we give you thanks that though many of the messages from Scripture are hard messages, they are ones in which you promise to meet us. And so, Lord, as we discern your will today, as we discern our generosity and our way of giving back to you, meet us. May our giving not be in vain. May our giving help your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our lives as it is here through your work in this world. Lord, we love you. We don't mean to keep things from you, and so help us to be gracious and generous to you and to others and to your kingdom. For all that we have is yours anyway, and all that we want is to be fully yours today. This, O Lord, we pray in the name of your Son who gave himself for us, who gave us his all. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, today. Amen.